Who gets to decide? A liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right, all right. Welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. I'm Seth Martin. Well, you know, we talked about Kyle Rittenhouse, and of course that involved guns, and, and I'm not one of these people that's obsessed about guns, but um, it just seems like every time there's a shooting or there's some sort of, something bad happens in our society that has to do with guns, you know, they start parading out these liberals and, and, and lamenting the fact that we have a Second Amendment and guns and all this kind of thing, and it's just, I don't know why we can't just all understand that we have a Second Amendment. And um, I don't know, I think maybe some of this comes from the fact that maybe we don't know what the Second Amendment is all about. Why do we have Second Amendment? Did, did the founders create the Second Amendment so that we could all hunt on weekends? Is that, is that what they did? No, that's not what they did. That's maybe part of what you know liberals and people that don't understand our history like to tell you. But the main reason we have guns and we're an armed society and we have a Second Amendment is in case we need to get together and overthrow our government. Not like January 6th style. Not like that. Like really overthrow the government. And you see this, uh, you see this in places like Iraq and Syria and places that, you know, we invade. You see that that these, um, oh, they call them insurgency, uh, which is nothing more than just the people that live there that don't like the fact that we're there, you know, telling them how to live and trying to rule over them. Well, that's what, that's what we have a Second Amendment for, so that we can become the insurgency if we need to. I would much rather us share ideas and come to uh, some agreement about the role of government, what it should be allowed to do and what it shouldn't be allowed to do in our lives. But the reality is we have a Second Amendment for that purpose. And, you know, the thing that really irritates me about this discussion is you'll hear people say, well, you don't, we don't need guns. Society doesn't need guns. You just dial 911. Of course, you know, the first thing that pops into my head is, wow, you mean like back in the summer of 2020 when people's businesses were getting burned down and people were getting shot in the street and Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, was helping out a friend protect his uh, car lot. You mean like that? Like those people... You know, those people were calling 911, right? But there's there were no police. Why? Because the police had become politicized. They were told to stand down. They pulled back to some safe area and just sat there. So it's not true that, uh, that you can protect your life uh, by calling 911. In fact, the Supreme Court has ruled on this very subject that, that you don't have an individual right for the police to protect you. So... What that leaves you with is you to protect yourself, and if you have a family, for you to protect you and your family. 
So I want to kind of wade off into Rachel Maddow's, you know, intro here about guns and, and she brings up, um, you know, 1934 law, federal law that outlawed various types of guns. And, and then later on, she's going to talk about somebody that was arrested at the Capitol on January 6th, um, with some sort of ridiculous gun and, and use this as evidence as to why we shouldn't have guns. But it, it's just, most people would probably agree with her that, you know, you don't need this kind of gun that the person has, but the, that's not the point. The point is Congress shall make no law that infringes on gun rights at all. Okay. At all. So, I even question whether or not this federal law that she talks about that was written in 1934 is legitimate. It probably should have been struck down. And we can talk more about that in a minute. I, uh, I'd like to, you know, at some point segue into the conundrum that the left has gotten itself into by using the courts and arguing against the Second Amendment at various levels of our society and our court system. Um, and there's, we're not going to go way into it, but um, there's a long history of, of these court battles. Um, and what's interesting is how a, a win in some areas have cost them um, in the gun area. And I'll explain that in a minute. But let's listen to Rachel Maddow. And again, you know, we're going to talk about framing, how she frames the argument. Uh, just listen to how she frames this and listen to how snarky and condescending she is. I don't understand why these news people want to talk to us like we're five-year-olds. You know, we're, we're adults, but they insist on talking to us like we're five-year-olds. Shotguns are legal. Sawed-off shotguns are not legal. Uh, the National Firearms Act of 1934 put in place new federal rules... Again, 1934, against owning whole big classes of weapons and weapons accessories that were believed to be associated with serious crime. So that 1934 law included things like machine guns and silencers and sawed-off shotguns. And now, just because I just said that small sequence of sentences, all the gun people are now going to write me really pedantic, misspelled, threatening letters telling me that I've explained this in a way that they do not like. I welcome your hate mail. Bring it on. How would you like to, you know, have to have dinner with this woman every night? I mean, and have her talk to you like you're five. So the first thing I want to say, you know, about her statement is it's actually not true. Um, the 1934 Firearms Act, Federal Firearms Act that she mentions, did not make illegal sawed-off shotguns and machine guns and so on and so forth. Uh, and the reason it didn't is because, again, Congress shall pass no law infringing on the right to bear arms. That's What that means is they can't pass a law, a federal law, infringing on that right. Now, I alluded to this earlier um, about the 
how the courts have gotten a whole bunch of stuff about our founding and the way our government is organized, twisted into knots. So there's been, for example, there's something called the incorporation doctrine that basically says, um, and this is a non-legal, so I'm not a lawyer, but basically the incorporation doctrine says that the, um, the states are incorporated by the federal government. But this has huge ramifications because what the, the original design of the country was that states were sovereign, meaning that they could pass whatever laws they felt like were necessary to help govern the people of the state and that, um, and that they weren't subject to the Constitution of the United States. Only the Congress was subject to the Constitution of the United States and that all other rights you know, were left to the states and to the people. So the incorporation doctrine, um, what it says, this is just a cursory reading off the internet. It says, incorporation of the United States law, the doctrine by which portions of the Bill of Rights have been made applicable to the states. When the Bill of Rights ratified, mean they were, means when they were passed by the states, the courts held that protections extended only to the actions of the federal government and that the Bill of Rights did not place limitations on the authority of the state and local governments. However, the post-Civil War era, beginning in 1865 with the 13th Amendment, which declared the abolition of slavery, gave rise to the incorporation of other amendments applying more rights to the states and people over time. Gradually, various portions of the Bill of Rights have been held to applicable state and local government incorporation through the 14th Amendment in 1868 and the 15th Amendment in 1870. So what's interesting about that is the the law that uh, Rachel Maddow refi- uh, refers to in 1934, they knew this in 1934, even though they're talking about the 14th Amendment and the 15th Amendment in 1870, 1868, in 1934, they knew that Congress couldn't pass laws that were contrary to the to the Constitution of the United States. So I just think it's interesting that Rachel Maddow, you know, just uh, basically asserts that this law is the law of the land, and that's not what it was at all. What it was was an imposition of some taxes and things like that to discourage. Uh, transfer of those types of weapons, but um, she just she just talks about oh well Congress passed a law that that's that's that you know, and you know I'm not sure if you remember but in our last show we talked about what the purpose of the law was and this is this is what I want to tie things to I want to tie things back to the underlying principle Congress can't just pass any law they cannot pass laws well. They, they can if we don't hold, them, uh, hold their feet to the fire. But they're not supposed to pass laws that infringe upon liberty and property. They're just not supposed to. That was the design of the country. And um, this is uh, part of the problem, right? We've gotten away from this. We've, we've, um, we've made the states less powerful than they used to be with the passage of the 17th Amendment. So for the first 125 years of the nation's history, senators were um, elected or appointed by the state legislatures. Uh, 
so the states had a voice. Um, you had you had the People's House, which is the House of Representatives, and you, then you had the State House, which was the the Senate. And the idea was they would appoint people to go to Washington, and they would tell them before they left, "Hey, you keep those people out of our business, okay?" And if they didn't, then the state legislatures would would recall those senators and replace them with somebody who did. And this was the the design of the country. Uh, there was some scandal, and um, you know, never let a you know a crisis go to waste. Uh, they whipped up a lot of um, support to change the constitution. They they bothered to actually you know amend the constitution in those days. Uh, but they ultimately they added the Seventeenth Amendment, which made senators popularly elected, which is, you know, again goes to um, the foundation of this show: who gets to decide? So, <clears throat> who gets to decide now in America is fifty plus one percent of the population. So, just to tie this up in a nice little bow uh, to finish up what Rachel Maddow was talking about. And these uh, guns, you know, it's not true what she said. Um, it's Twitter or Facebook or somebody should put a big banner across her face saying this is misinformation. You shouldn't listen to this. Um, and, you know, I guess somebody could really sue MSNBC if they wanted to. But this is what passes for the news. And so... We just have to tolerate it. This is one of the reasons this show exists. There's other shows that exist because people need to know the truth. And the truth is these people are lying to you night in and night out. I mean, they just are. Um, but the, frankly, the bottom line truth for most Americans is that for 87 freaking years now, U.S. law says you can't have a sawed-off shotgun. You cannot shorten the barrel of your shotgun to be 18 inches or less because crime. But... This being the United States of America, in which we are not really allowed to have rationally derived public policy about guns, even though sawed-off shotguns have been illegal in this country for almost 90 years, some genius has nevertheless invented, marketed, and now legally sells in the United States, I kid you not, a shotgun revolver. I just love how she, how she sums this up for 90 90- freaking years, almost 90 freaking years, this has been U.S. law, which we've already established is not the law. But then she just says, why? Because of crime. <laughs> That's uh, it's just interesting how she uh, makes her case. So she starts off with the with a, a presumption that the, this is a law and that it's illegal. And then she goes and makes her case. But then if you think about it, if you're trying to make the case for or against something, doesn't your your premise have to be true? I mean, basically this whole segment is a bunch of nonsense because her her primary premise is that this is against the law and that somebody is out there making a shotgun revolver and violating federal law. Now, do you, do you have to be like uh, really involved in federal law and and really involved in in gun laws and all this to know that that's just ridiculous? I mean, how long? How could somebody even start a business with a product 
that was going to right out of the gate violate federal law. I mean, this is just nonsense. This woman, her show is nonsense. And I wish people would hurry up and stop listening to MSNBC and CNN so that they could hurry up and go out of business or change their model to be more truthful or something. Because there's some percentage, a large percentage, I suppose, that's listening to this program. And this is where they're getting their knowledge. And this is one of the reasons I believe that half the country is living in some alternate reality uh, where the other half is living in, in a, you know, a semi-known uh, reality or agreed-upon reality. And so, you know, again, the purpose of the law, or it should be, is to protect liberty and property. And the reason you want to have a firearm or some sort of protection, there's non-lethal uh, protective uh, equipment that you can buy to protect yourself. But, you know, it's the old, you don't want to bring a knife to a gunfight kind of thing, right? So everybody needs to make their own decision about that. You know, individual, these are individual decisions. America in general is about the individual. It's not about the collective and what the collective wants to do. Um, that's what it's become. And, the problem with that is you can never get, you can't even get 10 or 15 people to agree on the same thing, much less 330 million people. So, you know, we need to focus on the individual. Um, and, and we'll be talking more about some of these things that are happening in our society that are where the, the collective is just bulldozing over the individual. And it's, it's going to lead to bad outcomes. Um, it, it, it's inevitable. And what we want to do is we want to try to, we want to try to get people's thinking aligned with individual liberty, individual property, things like that, because that's an easy principle. It's easy to measure against that and say, is this good or is this bad without getting into the mumbo jumbo of, uh, this group or that group or, you know, opinions. Uh, the, the good thing about principle, I mean, look at gravity. Is just an example. Would you even consider, you know, building, let's say, a, I don't know, a 70-story building? Uh, would you, uh, let me ask you this way. Would, would you hire an architect or a construction company to build a 70-story building if in their presentation they told you that, yeah, we don't need to worry about gravity. Gravity's never been a concern in our construction business. We just, uh, we have some new techniques, technology, uh, and, and we can just ignore gravity. I mean, nobody in their right mind would hire that company. Their, their, their principles are way off, right? They don't, they, if they don't understand gravity, they can't even begin to understand how to build a building. So this is what we want to do. We want to bring some of these, some of these conversations that are happening in the media and the news, we want to bring them back to some level of reality, which is principle, underlying principle. And specifically, individual uh, principles. So let's uh, let's see if Rachel has anything interesting to say, if, or if this is just more of the same. It's a handgun, a huge oversized handgun, a huge oversized revolver, with a giant oversized cylinder big enough to take shotgun shells. 
So you can have a sawed-off shotgun in this country with a barrel shorter than 18 inches, but for some reason, you can have a shotgun revolver with a barrel length of two and a half inches, which... Yes, does lead instantly to lots of two-and-a-half-inch barrel jokes about the kinds of guys who want to buy this kind of cartoon laughingstock overcompensating small man gun. So clearly her strategy is to, you know, make fun of um, the need for such a, a gun. You know, she talks about big and huge and uh, and this, and, you know, she's trying to make fun of it and, um, you know, make fun of the people that have them and, this is the, you know, the limousine liberal kind of, you know, drive around New York City, make eight, ten million dollars a year and look down at the rest of, you know, flyover country kind of attitude that some of these people have. But then she also she also makes the statement, you know, which we've already talked about that it's illegal. It's illegal to have this gun, you know, and and why does anybody need such a gun and you know, whatever she says there. But uh, it, it, again, it is not illegal to have such a gun. Um, a smokeless powder shotgun, a shotgun with a barrel length shorter than 18 inches or an overall length shorter than 26 inches without a tax-paid registration from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and requiring a back tra- background check is illegal. So in other words, you can get... Uh, you can get a, a tax-paid registration. That goes for silencers, same thing. You can buy a silencer for a gun. You just have to register it and pay a tax. They, you know, they, uh, a $75 silencer costs $500 because they just put so much tax on it. And the reason they do this is because not to generate money. I mean, uh, not enough people even buy those silencers and stuff. It's just to keep people from doing it. And, uh, and... It's a it's a it's a dishonest way, basically, of of controlling uh, guns or having gun laws, because again, Congress shall pass no law, you know, infringing upon the right of the Second Amendment. So this is um, this is just the way this group of people think, and and maybe I'm talking to somebody that thinks this way. Um, the, the the reality of the gun situation is is guns uh, don't kill people, people kill people. And that's just the reality of it. Somebody's got to pull the trigger. Somebody's got to point it at somebody, and then somebody's got to pull the trigger. And that requires a human being. And so, yeah, there's there's some accidents that happen, and uh, most of your responsible gun owners keep guns locked up so that young kids can't get to them and things like that. But by and large, if you try to take... Uh, guns away from the law-abiding public, uh, what what happens is only the criminals have guns, and the cops, of course. But, you know, if if, if criminals are the only ones that have guns, let's set aside the cops for a second, and, you know, you, you have your home and your car and, you know, whatever property, you know, someone like Rachel Maddow, she's probably got several homes and several cars, but some people only have one home and one car, and one family that lives in that home, or rides in that car. And they feel the need to protect themselves, because maybe they don't live in such a great part of town, like Rachel Maddow lives in. You know, Rachel Maddow lives, you know, maybe, I don't know where Rachel Maddow lives, but maybe she lives on the, you know, the 30th floor of some, you know, Upper West Side penthouse or something. And she's got security guards that work in 
her building and outside her door or whatever. I mean, I don't know her situation, but it's probably not like, you know, 90%, 98% of the public out there. So Rachel Maddow mostly just doesn't understand. She's out of touch, but then she's also either uh, willfully, you know, uh, manipulative about what the law says, or she's just ignorant. In either case, she's not being truthful and that's what we need to guard against. We need to guard against people that, you know, get on TV, have these big platforms and then just lie to people. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to check in with her one more time to see if there's, maybe there's something interesting that she says here at the very end. And and certainly if she says something interesting or truthful, we want to capture it and go, go ahead and give her credit for it. And on January 6th this year, Prosecutors now say that a 56-year-old man from Indiana brought that kind of a ridiculous gun, loaded, brought it to the U.S. Capitol. Here's Kyle Cheney at Politico.com today on what uh, the man told in police investigators he intended to do with that gun at the Capitol on January 6th. Quote, an Indiana man charged with carrying a loaded firearm into the Capitol on January 6th told investigators that if he had found Speaker Nancy Pelosi, quote, you'd be here for another reason. Well, just as the sun comes up in the east, you can count on liberal commentators on MSNBC and CNN pardon, to bring something back to January 6th. So, you know, the January 6th, thing. Uh, you know, I don't know what to say about that. Well, I do know what to say about it. There's a lot to say about that. But the thing to report on, on January 6th, is some guy, you know, brought a gun, which was, look, admittedly, not very smart. I mean, what everybody knows Washington, D.C. has the strictest gun laws in the United States. I mean, you, you shouldn't bring a gun at all to Washington, D.C. But set that aside, she takes this opportunity to kind of lump Trump supporters from January 6th uh, in with this guy and his over-the-top, you know, uh, craziness uh, with this, this crazy gun that he has, and he's got this crazy plan to go, you know, uh, attack Nancy Pelosi and so on and so forth. And, and of course, the bigger story, which, you know, Rachel Maddow conveniently leaves out, is there are just many, many, many dozens of people being held in Washington, D.C. jails without bail, without parole, in some cases solitary confinement, and under charges like trespassing. I mean, have literally been in jail for six months, going on eight or nine months now. And, and somehow that's not the story, that the state, that the federal government is holding essentially political prisoners. I mean, if you're listening to this woman, you need to stop immediately. If, if, you're, if you consider yourself an American, I just don't know how you can listen to this woman, really. I, I think she's, um, I don't know what her agenda is, I really don't, but she is not talking about the things. She's not, you know, showing truth to power and all this stuff that liberals supposedly have a long history of doing. She's just bringing up some anecdotal one-off thing. I mean, I've 
watched hours and hours and hours of reports about January 6th. This is the only gun possession story that I've even heard. So it's clearly a one-off. It's not something that was, uh, you know, uh, pervasive on January 6th. But what is pervasive is the number of political prisoners that Washington, D.C. jails hold uh, uh, for citizens of this country trespassing on the Capitol. And how do you even do that? Don't we, it doesn't the Capitol belong to all of us? That's what they tell us. You know, they let the drug addicts and, and the heroin addicts live in the park with needles sticking out of their arms. And the park is, you know, public property. So, you know, anybody can go there. I mean, that's the justification. I just, it just makes me angry to see how so much focus in the media is brought to this one-off kind of crazy gun situation. And there's almost no time spent on, you know, the political prisoners being held in these jails. I'm going to give, I'm going to give her one more chance to say something. No, I'm going to give her two more chances to say something intelligent before this segment is over. And I hope she comes through for us. It's just an amazing time we live in to read, you know, like polite profiles of how Nancy Pelosi has been working the phones to try to get Democrats like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to support President Biden's legislative agenda in Congress. Well, I guess I'm going to have to agree with it that these are interesting times that we're living in, but not because Nancy Pelosi is tirelessly working away trying to get Joe Biden's agenda through the Congress. I mean, what is what is interesting about that? It's a bunch of, it's a, it's a big boondoggle where everybody that's connected to the federal government's got a piece of the action is getting rich off the rest of us. What's interesting about that? What's interesting is how our government that was built, this country that was built on freedom, the idea of liberty and, you know, individual liberty and property is just being steamrolled by these megalomaniacs that are running our country. That's what's interesting. So I do agree with Rachel Maddow that we're living in interesting times, but what she finds interesting about it is not the same thing I find interesting about it. And hopefully you don't either. It's an amazing time we live in.